everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to feature insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Now in Season 5, Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering a bill on dog breeds as a ratings factor, why Arizona is one of the few states to consider banning the practice. Plus, diversity through the years. Shelter Insurance CEO Randa Rollins describes the organization's decades-long history of embracing DEI efforts. But first, the Arizona Senate Committee on Appropriations met last week to consider a bill that prohibits insurers from considering the breed of a dog for any matter related to claims involving dogs under an insurance policy. HB 2323 would make Arizona one of the few states not allowing consideration of dog breed in this manner. Dog breed would also become one of the few issues under Arizona law that could not be considered in rating or underwriting, regardless of whether any actuarial basis to do so exists. NAMIC believes that this sort of blanket prohibition reflects the unrealistic view that a dog's breed has no effect on either a dog's propensity to cause damage or the extent of harm a dog could cause. Current law more appropriately allows dog breed to be one of many competitive factors that insurers consider in offering and pricing coverage, and companies already vary in their approaches to this particular issue. Well, the NAIC national meeting is now underway in its headquarters city of Kansas City, Missouri. It's a busy week there with some 50 scheduled meetings to occur over the five-day period. While some new initiatives are already underway, several ongoing projects from prior years continue to move through the NAIC process. At this meeting, NAMIC expects full committee consideration of whether health insurers should collect demographic-specific consumer data. NAMIC advocates are following this because of what it could mean for other lines of business where the association already has issued opposition to the collection and reporting of protected class information. NAMIC also anticipates the Executive Plenary Committee to adopt the newly redesigned Climate Risk Disclosure Survey, where NAMIC has urged for amendments to reflect impact on smaller companies. Well, and now we want to tell you about a new industry effort to support Ukrainian refugees. In response to the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Europe, the Insurance Industry Charitable Foundation has opened a Ukrainian humanitarian relief fund to help the staggering number of refugees fleeing the violence. IICF Chief Executive Officer Bill Ross says the insurance industry is already stepping up to help. You know, the IICF uh, is very pleased to open a Ukrainian humanitarian relief fund. Um, We've recently followed and watched what the industry has done, and we believe the industry has already contributed over $30 million to support uh, this effort and felt that it was also important that uh, the IICF and its efforts of you know, introducing industry campaigns that we open a campaign. And so it's now been open for about a week. Uh, I would say that you know we stand with the world and the industry in calling for peace in Ukraine. Um, with humanitarian uh, you know, efforts underway, we're trying to address it for allowing the industry to step forward, whether that's individuals to contribute or a company. 
and we're seeing, you know, uh, individuals now already stepping forward and making contributions. Money raised by the IICF fund will benefit the International Committee of the Red Cross, Save the Children and Care. These nonprofit organizations are delivering immediate assistance to the region for the women, children and families made refugees by this conflict. To donate, visit IICF.org and click on the link at the top of the page. In recent years, the nation's largest insurance companies have been asked to share information about their diversity and inclusion efforts with the U.S. House Financial Services Committee. The latest request comes after an almost four-year effort by the committee to investigate diversity and inclusion practices in the whole financial services industry. Letters requesting the information were sent to companies that receive at least $7 billion in direct premiums each year. Diversity and inclusion is a priority for insurers, and NAMIC member companies have been vocal about their efforts to prioritize diversity. Mutual insurers have worked hard to expand the recruiting pipeline to the property casualty insurance industry. And on today's Unscripted, our Neil Aldridge sits down with shelter insurance CEO Randa Rollins to discuss the company's DEI practices, which started more than 30 years ago. So joining me today on Unscripted is Randa Rollins. Randa is the president and CEO at Shelter Insurance in Columbia, Missouri. Welcome, Randa. Thank you. Great to have you here today. Uh, we're, today we're going to talk about a little different topic. We've covered some of this before, but not nearly enough. We're going to talk about diversity inclusion issues today and about how Shelter in particular has been handling these. Uh, Shelter has been a little bit ahead of the curve, it seems, in some mm -hmm. regards. And so we're going to explore some of that today and just kind of cover this topic more broadly in Shelter's experience. So. Randa, to kick things off, you're a relatively new CEO of Shelter, mm -hmm. like I am. You started in January of 21. I was in July of 21. So what can you tell our listeners about how Shelter became so invested in the DE&I issues uh, and just how you become a leader in that space? Well, I would have to give credit to prior leadership in our company, certainly, and in particular, Rick Means and Matt Moore have been very supportive, um, who uh, created a position for our Director of Inclusion and Engagement several years ago. Uh, that person has now been promoted to our Vice President of People Resources, but we've replaced her with someone else, and we have a manager in that group and uh, a program manager. So we spend a lot of effort, time, and money uh, in that area purposely and intentionally because we think that's the, that, that's the right thing to do. One of our values is doing the right thing in our company, and so uh, and Matt, I think, really probably had the opportunity to expand that role a little bit. And there were some things that have happened in our community that caused the community as a whole to come together. Um, we signed off on our uh, principles of community several years ago. Uh, and everybody, you know, most of the companies, banks and financial institutions and so forth in our community university signed off on that. So we all have a kind of common understanding of what we want our community to look like. And uh, we probably should go back and read that more often, but, um, and then and, uh, we've, we have also started uh, building inclusive training program in our company. Uh, so we ask any employee that wants to take that training, they're welcome to do it. It's a two day, pretty intensive training. And we have phase one and phase two now. And um, really talks, helps you understand what your potential biases may be and how you can, as an individual, participate in the, in the answer and the response and 
and fixing things that perhaps may need to be fixed. And so um, I think that we have, through the various programs we've had, we've really made it clear to our employee base that this is something that's really important to us. And um, we do that by, through our leadership and yeah. through what we're doing. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like the intentionality part is mm -hmm. a really important part of all of this. That principles of community document, it's, it's a real living thing it that is. you all consult and kind of guide. Or you mentioned mm -hmm. the, some of the training that comes out of that. What other important items would you point to in those principles? Well, I think just um, you know education, training, action, uh, don't sit back uh, and and uh, talk about it, but how, you know it, you're you actually graded by your your activity and so forth. We actually in our um, in our company adopted an uh, it's what they call an inclusive excellence framework that our uh, people resources group follows, and it has various topics in it: metrics, training, um, you know, looking at access issues. Um, figuring out where we need to be recruiting, mm -hmm. but it's not just let's do this, let's do that, like kind of scattered. It's very organized and in a framework, and then they take that framework every year at the end of the year and prepare a report on what they've been able to do in those various sections mm -hmm. and kind of help with the, you know, support their progress yeah. and what they've been able to do, but also to figure out where the gaps are. You know, what did we, we got this far this year, what did we not get to do, or where do we need to focus on the gaps that, that where we're missing some things? You've been at Shelter for a number of years before you were at CEO. Okay, have you been able to tell a difference in the company since this has been more of a focus? I see the difference just when I walk down the hallways and, and run into people, and I just think there's a different attitude in terms of recruiting in, um, and in terms of support from our other employees who might not have otherwise done that in the past, but now they understand uh, how, how much emphasis the leadership has put on that. So I think you know, we, we now have people who say, oh, well, we're trying to get a panel of three people to interview somebody. It needs to be, you know, we need to have a woman on that panel or we need to have an African-American on that panel. I mean, so there's, it's just, People stop and think now a little bit more about what they're doing and how they're going about it and that they're trying to be more fair in the process. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think many people would think Columbia, Missouri is the hotbed of diversity, <laughs> but it's great to see a, a company the size of Shelter really living it and seeing results. It's You know, we're not where we need to be. Yeah. Um, we, we, have a, we still have work to do, and we acknowledge that all the time. Sure. It's like, you know, we would like the numbers to be a little bit better than they are. Uh, we look at them, and I just looked at last year's the other day, and it's like, well, we're, you know, we've made progress, yeah. and we continue to make progress, but we have work to do. We've just uh, encouraged our recruiting team to spend more time in the HBCU area, because mm -hmm. we do try to recruit in colleges, but we've never really had a focus there. And always maybe a little bit of an excuse in that, well, those recruiting people on campus, are there's a lot of turnover in them, and we make a relationship, and then they're gone, and it's really hard. And, but that comes back to the intentionality. It's yeah. like, okay, we need to have a contact in these various places, and we need to continue that contact. And if that person leaves, find a new person. But how are we ever gonna find those college degree people that we want if we're not in the right place and so forth? Yeah. So, um, and you know, we've actually had 
a diversity intern program. This will be our 34th year. No kidding. Yeah. So we didn't start that yesterday. Yeah. We didn't start that because there were some issues in our community uh -huh. seven years ago. It's like, no, that's something that we've done for a long, long time. And so even many of our employees that have been around 20 or 25 years are people that came out of that internship program. And we, we still operate that um, very actively today. It was a little, little bit harder during the pandemic yeah. because they had to do it remotely. But we, uh, we place a lot of them in our branch offices throughout the country, um, but also some in, in actually in Columbia at the home office. And then we bring everybody, all of them back for a week. So they do some training, they do some community activities, uh, we take them on a golf outing. They do a project together where they try to solve or resolve one of the problems that our company might have at that time and you know, give us suggestions on how we could do something better. Um, and it's just been a really successful program. It's, not, it's like any internship. You're not going to hire everybody out of that group. Sure. Um, and we expect that. But um, every year we get two or three people that end up being um, you know, that never planned to work in insurance, didn't know anything about an insurance company, but they love what they're doing. And so they end up, we end up making a position sometimes even to mm. keep them on. If, and I've had um, managers come to me and say, this person needs to stay here and work. I don't have a vacant position right now. Can I hire them? And then we'll fill in, mm -hmm. you know, when, some, when we lose somebody, we'll have that person ready to fill in. And so we've done that in an effort to make sure that that program continues to be successful. Well, that's great. I know <clears throat> the industry, generally speaking, is facing talent shortages. And so this really just fit beyond the diversity questions. This sort of fits into some way to address those issues as well. Well, we were just talking about that in one of our um, uh, breakout sessions here at the program. And... You know, what I think that we're figuring out is that we need to get to the kids younger. Mm -hmm. If you wait till they're a senior in college, you're, you're probably not going to have your best shot at them because they've got a lot of other influences or they've decided what they want to do or where they want to be. Um, and so we really need to get into the high school level and make sure pe that, the, that the kids understand what insurance is about and what the opportunities are, that you could be an accountant or an attorney or a claims adjuster or an underwriter or an actuary. And, or or technology. Know, right, yeah, IT, right. All, those, mm -hmm. all those opportunities that people would never think about. They just think about a person that's selling insurance or a claims adjuster, perhaps. And so we really need to back it up a little bit and, and work with some training programs and you know there's always there's never enough time and money to do all those things and uh, you know you you would need to be able to focus on getting those in not only to the schools that are predominantly white but in in the areas where we have underserved populations that's where you really need to focus on those kinds of things because those um, the students there have never seen that in their family. They've never seen anybody in shelter. I know like many mm -hmm. other insurance companies, <laughs> the nepotism. I and mean, we have, you know, a lot of our employees, their grandfather was an agent, their mother worked in underwriting, right. they work in claims. That's how you get your employees to, to, to uh, come to shelter. 
Um, but we don't have that opportunity with those that are more underserved because they haven't seen that in their families. Yeah. They don't have that opportunity to think that's something I could do with my life or that's what I want to do with yeah. my life. A, and, an available career path. Yeah, is the right. Industry. And yeah. so we've got to figure out a different way to introduce that to them at a younger age so that they think about those opportunities and think about if they want to stay in our community, there's a place that they can work that has really good benefits to understand that and that they can have a long career there. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great message. Shelter is a great messenger uh, mm -hmm. for the whole industry on this and really uh, it's great to see you, know, you all not just talking about it but mm -hmm. living these kind of efforts to, to do this kind of outreach. Given the success you've had, the focus on these issues, are there any sort of certain best practices you'd point others to? A lot of companies are looking at these issues, they don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Is there something you would identify that they could start with? Well, I think you have to have a designated person uh, certainly in your HR group that even if it's not a full-time person, somebody that that's their responsibility. Uh -huh. Because until you do that, you're really not demonstrating that you, how important it is to the company. And so I think we made a huge step when we decided to have a, a, a director of uh, inclusion and engagement and then mm -hmm. also to place a manager under that. And mm -hmm. um, they're very visible now yeah. because of their, um, they're always constantly communicating to employees about opportunities and so forth. So. There's got to be somebody who has that responsibility, I think. And then um, I think from the top, you have to show intentionality. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be a message there that that's really what mm -hmm. you're doing. I know mm -hmm. when we, um, three years ago, it was pre-COVID certainly, when we went to replace one of our board members, um, and I remember Matt Moore saying when he brought the minority inter the diversity interns into our boardroom and they saw the pictures, mm -hmm. there was nobody that looked like them. Mm -hmm. And how can you tell them that this is the place to work if that's what, what they're seeing? Yeah. And, and at that time we said, we are going to add an African-American female to our board. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, there were people who said, well, you won't be able to find that person. And I said, don't, don't, don't <laughs> tell me I can't do something. And we, we went out with that intention and we made sure people understood yeah. that the candidates that we chose we're comfortable yeah. with that because sometimes they wouldn't be, but it's mm -hmm. like, we, w we are looking at you because of this, because we think it's important for our employees mm -hmm. um, to see that on our board. Yeah. And so we, we came up with two really super good candidates and, and selected one of those persons and actually turned out to be a great choice because she was in the healthcare industry and it was right before COVID. Oh, yeah. And um, it's been a great choice for our board. And I think that those are the kinds of things that you've got to, You've got to make a list of what can we what can we do and right. accomplish. Maybe there's some longer term things, but there's some shorter th term things like that that you can do, yeah. that um, demonstrate to your employees and to the community what you're um, what you're about. Well, it's it's a great message and a great example of the kind of work the insurance industry is doing every day. Randa, thanks for joining mm -hmm. us today. A NAMIC board member. Uh, woman CEO, maybe the largest domestic company in the U.S. property casualty with a woman CEO. I think that's correct. That may be correct. Uh, yeah. I believe mm -hmm. it is. And, mm -hmm. and a longtime leader in the industry. I've known Randa mm -hmm. in previous lives here at mm -hmm. NAMIC, and mm -hmm. we're glad to have her here on the podcast today. And thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for asking. And that's all for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back again on April 20th with more insurance news, including an interview with the Governor's Highway Safety Association to learn more about the important work they're doing during Distracted Driving Awareness Month. 
Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a terrific day.